Information and cyber threat intelligence sharing is getting more attention from banking regulators and the government. In fact, two cybersecurity information sharing bills now before Congress, the Protecting Cyber Networks Act and the National Cybersecurity Protection Advancement Act, were recently both passed by the House, and there's impetus for much more. But experts question how beneficial these bills actually will be and say cross-industry information sharing may actually be stunted by legislation. ISACA, a global association of IT security risk and privacy professionals, recently issued a report evaluating some of this new legislation and the impact it could have on industry and business. Today I'm joined by Robert Stroud, international president of ISACA and vice president of strategy and innovation at CA Technologies, who shares ISACA's perspective about how new legislation could positively and negatively impact information sharing for banks and merchants and other industries. Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. So Robert, as I mentioned in that long introduction, ISACA recently took a hard look at some of this new legislation that's out there related to information sharing, two pieces that I mentioned, Protecting Cyber Networks Act and the National Cybersecurity Protection Advancement Act. Can you give us a brief overview of what some of ISACA's overarching thoughts are about these two pieces of legislation? Hi, Tracy, and thanks for uh, the opportunity to speak to you today. ISACA has uh, recently set up a legislation watch where we're actually looking at uh, legislation that's being set up in not just the US but other countries as well in relation to cybersecurity and other areas that are pertinent to trust and value professionals globally. One of the things that we've really been considering as we look at uh, the current cyber issues that we're having and the number of threats that are driving through the uh, environment is the fact that these threats are often found out about through the industry well after the fact, often through the media even. The thoughts of these pieces of legislation are to make information sharing more flexible, easier to take place and in some cases mandatory. What we really need to do is understand the opportunity for information sharing and the fact that it may have a positive impact on what's going to happen in terms of the industry. For instance, if there's a certain type of attack that is hitting a certain industry, if they share within that industry the details of that attack, organisations can be more prepared to deal with it and they can go through and search and see if they are suffering from that sort of attack. The downside of it all, of course, is if all this information becomes public, enterprises, financial institutions, retail merchants are all worried about the potential for reputational risk. We've all heard stories about what happens if somebody talks about a cyber attack somewhere and how it impacts our reputation. So I think that's one of the negative sides and why organisations are concerned about it. So, Robert, the White House and the Electronic Frontier Foundation, which is a nonprofit organization that defends civil liberties in the digital world, they both have differing concerns about these proposed pieces of legislation. Obama's administration thinks the protections provided for information sharing are too broad, while the EFF believes the legislation threatens privacy. You've touched on this just a little bit, but what is ISACA's take here? So privacy is a fundamental right, I think, for all of us. And one of the things that ISACA found in a recent uh, survey of our members was that, especially with the Internet of Things and the ubiquitous amount of information out there, privacy is being threatened. There's another uh, attitude in the industry today where a certain group, typically the white generation, believes that privacy is overrated. It's an interesting dichotomy of opinions. What ISACA believe is that you should have a right to have a fair attitude or response in organisations to privacy. You should be able to indeed have your information stored securely and managed effectively. And I think one of the things as you look at the differing opinions the information is, is that if somebody has all the information on you, and can put a picture of you together very quickly. What are the controls in place to stop that information being misused? Or indeed that organization holding that information 
being the source of potential attacks. It's a really interesting debate. In terms of privacy, I think, personally, I have an expectation of privacy. But if I don't know about it, how do I actually manage that expectation? I think what's going to have to happen is there's going to have to be effective safeguards, effective controls put around the organisations or the institutions or the federal bodies that have this information so that they can actually give us the assurance that they're managing this information effectively. Like all things, often there are opinions of extremes. But what we need to do is find a middle ground that both serves the purpose as well as delivers on the outcomes that are required. So, Robert, as you've rightly noted, businesses are afraid that if they share information and it becomes public, they could be negatively impacted. So they want to have liability protections. But then the administration feels that the way the language is worded is too broad and in some ways would offer protections to entities that might not really need to have it. Do you think that we'll be able to overcome some of these hurdles? I mean, there's so many different nuances to these pieces of legislation, and it, you can see both sides of the story. It makes it very difficult to come up with something definitive that, that works for everyone. That's always a challenge, isn't it, with any set of rules or guidance and uh, even legislation in this case. You've got to get a balance, and that balance, I suspect, will not be perfect in its first incarnation. We'll have to work with it and define it over time. And like all things, the cyber threat landscape changes over time and therefore the types of attacks and the information that's being targeted in these attacks will change over time as well. Therefore, we do need fairly broad guidance in the first place to actually allow us to know what to share and how to share it. But the second part is there needs to be effective controls in place, and I'm going to consistently go back to that, is that these controls need to be in place to safeguard the rights of the individuals, the companies and the entities. But that said, you know, in terms of the cyberspace, you know, one of the basic problems we have now is that basic cyber attacks are not being shared within industry. You know, if we could just overcome that and have the definition and details of cyber attacks shared without sharing the personal information of those impacted, that would then at least give us some good data to use for protecting against other attacks. You know, one of the things I often say is this is a global problem with many sources of attacks coming from many positions and many organisations and many countries. So we need to be able to know what these attacks look like so that we can guard against them. Robert, you mentioned earlier that ISACA is looking at global legislation. It's not just something that you're looking at domestically. Do you think there are examples of legislation or proposed legislation in other parts of the world that the U.S. could learn from? You know, absolutely. Uh, one of the things we're starting to see now is legislation proposed in many countries. In fact, I was just in South Africa where they have the Personal Information and Protection Act that's about to be proposed, which safeguards the information of individuals and gives them an expectation of privacy and mandates requirements for organisations to follow in safeguarding that information. Now, that's one example. And whether that legislation is perfect or not, it's a good example of protecting the citizens of South Africa and their personal rights. The second we're starting to see is, you know, organisations and governments worldwide are now starting to talk about forced information sharing of attacks. And this, for instance, in the European Union, they're working on a series of guidance for their member states right now so that they too can be not just guaranteed an expectation of privacy, but they can also be, you know, fairly warranted in terms of that cyber attacks will be investigated and also followed up. The challenge is, though, any piece of legislation where there's vast access to personally identifiable information, maybe by a government or by an investigating body, you know, in that particular instance, unless there's controls in place, you will end up with a situation where you do need to review that organisation. So one of the things that we'll be looking for in these pieces of legislation is we're looking to see if there's unfettered control. So, for instance, if those who are actually using this information for the purposes of good, 
you know, they have to have controls around them so that they must be accountable for what they do. And I think this is with grey area right now. We need to work out what those accountability requirements look like and how we're going to assure them and then how we're going to audit that people are really actually adhering to the requirements of the legislation. So, Robert, I'd like to go back and talk a little bit about financial services specifically. You spent nearly two decades of your career in financial services. Given some of your experience in the financial realm, how do you think these proposed pieces of legislation could help and or hinder cyber threat intelligence sharing within the financial sector? So being in financial services, and I was heavily involved in financial services within information security in my time. And one of the challenges we faced, which was kind of new, is I was there when the internet banking came about and bill pay, and then ultimately, of course, other areas as well, such as uh, viruses became a big issue and malware and things like that. One of the things the banks did, in my experience, is we got very good at sharing threat information. We actually met on a regular basis and then without giving sensitive information away, we shared that threat information so organisations could actually be better prepared. And this is one of the opportunities we have and I think the legislation talks to some of this and tries to encourage this. And one of the things that I believe needs to happen is this information sharing. Now, I don't believe this information sharing, if it happens effectively, should hinder the effectiveness of banking at all or even hinder the effectiveness of organisations to act. So I think this legislation and others like it should be based on a case that, you know, if organisations won't do it voluntarily, then unfortunately maybe in order to solve this problem, we need to look at laws to actually govern or enforce this type of sharing. And I think that's the crossroads we're at right now, is that if organisations don't share this information voluntarily amongst themselves so that they can counter the threats, then maybe some form of enforcement will be required. Robert, information sharing among banking institutions has been touted in recent years, I would think probably maybe even more so in the last six months, because information sharing within the financial sector in the wake of the DDoS attacks that we saw in 2012 and 2013 really did bring information sharing to a new level. In the financial services sector, do you think that legislation then is really needed? I mean, it seems that most organizations within this space anyway are actually sharing information at will is an interesting perspective. Now, yes, there is information sharing going on. Yes, the banks are meeting and and sharing this data, this attack vector data, and, and that's very well and good. The reality of it is that if it's not happening consistently, then legislation may be required. One of the aspects that are being talked about in these types of legislation is maybe the information on attacks and attack vectors and threat types is happening within banking. But just think about the fact that many other organisations are doing financial transactions today. Actual nature of a a bank and financial institution is very well defined. But actually, many organisations, including the retail sector, are involved in financial transactions. So one of the discussion points that's in the industry at the moment is, do we need to extend it to anybody involved in a financial transaction chain? Do we need to have that information sharing? Because each point is maybe an entry point into the threat vulnerability landscape. Therefore, one of the things the legislation is proposing is that we broaden the information sharing. And I think that's a key aspect of it and a key consideration. Yes, that's a great point, Robert, because as more attacks have been waged against the payments industry, banking leaders have actually talked about the fact that they feel there needs to be more cross-industry information sharing, particularly between banks and retailers. Do you think then that legislation would help this particular effort as retailers haven't really been that comfortable sharing information with banks in the past? Well, certainly that, that's what the legislation is proposed to do. The actual proof in the puddings in the eating, isn't it? And we'll have to see once it's in place and once it's used, once precedence is set, how it actually leverages and support. On the surface of it, it looks very encouraging. The reality of it is we'll see how we go over time. 
And then here's the million dollar question I'd like to close with, Robert. What do you think we can see next? Do you think we might actually see some of this legislation passed in the near future? Oh, truly the million dollar question. One can only hope so. One can only hope that anything to do with tackling the issue of cybersecurity and cybercrime will be seriously seen in the industry as a positive step forward. Cybersecurity is everyone's business and the threats that are being faced by us today in this global economy where our borders are shrinking and in fact, we have no borders now in the uh, digital world. We need to be vigilant and absolutely manage our business effectively in the risk of our business. Now, as we consider this and consider the legislation, if organisations don't want to voluntarily share this information so that we can actually do a better job and protect ourselves in a better manner, then unfortunately the government will be required to step in and propose legislation. The one clear ask that we all have is legislation needs to be fair and equitable, it needs to protect our rights at the same time, and it needs to show value. Like all things, legislation is here to help us, and rules you know, are all here to help us do things more effectively and are good for the common perspective of all of us. Robert, I'd like to thank you again for your time. Very informative. And thank you, and thank you to the listeners. Again, we've just heard from Robert Stroud of ISACA. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.